Hi, friends. I'm Ashley Kramer. And I'm Brittany Labby. And this is More Than a Season podcast. With the help of men and women across all sports and levels, we dive deep into the highs and lows of the sports industry. No topic is off limits as we discuss the struggles and stereotypes while celebrating the successes and community that comes with this lifestyle. So whether you're a coach's or athlete's significant other or just enjoy talking about sports, you are welcome here. Let's take a look beyond the season and get started with today's episode. This is Ashley and Brittany. And we are your hosts of More Than a Season podcast. Welcome, friends. Welcome, welcome. We had a eventful weekend, I would say. <laughs> I'm still trying to catch up, guys. If you listened to last week's episode, you know I went to a bachelorette party in Nashville, and I'm so tired. <laughs> yeah, you were a granny for a full day. You I was a granny, granny all day, all night. We all dressed up as grannies, if you didn't hear the last episode. We all dressed up as grannies, and we went out to lunch, and then we were such a hit, we decided to continue it on into the night out, and so it was really fun because we got... It's what it felt like to be famous, I think. If I was ever famous, that's what it would feel like. <laughs> Everyone was trying to take our picture, and they just wanted to talk to us and hang out with us and dance with us, so it was really fun. We had a good time with it, and I think it was just such a good group of girls. Like They were all like, yeah, let's do this. Like Let's be grannies forever. Like <laughs> Let me tell you, most comfortable outfit I've ever worn to a bar ever. And I might do it again. I know, because most bachelorettes, they're like, wear black, wear skimpy. And then you're like, oh, but, you know, you don't feel good after you have, like, a drink and some food. You just feel blah. So. There was probably, like, 7 million bachelorette parties, too. And I was like, you would not get any attention if you were dressed like that. Like, she got so much attention as the bride because... Yeah. Like we weren't like all dressed in skimpy cowboy boots and skimpy outfits and hats. So I think that was like fun for her too, because she got to have that like attention, which is what everyone wants on their bachelorette party. Yeah, no, that's so much fun. And while Brittany was at her fun bachelorette weekend, I was watching the game at home. <laughs> you were sitting in the rain at home. Yeah, but it literally felt like the rain, like everything about the whole game. But yeah. we we lost and we'll just put, put it out there. Yeah, we know we did. it was tough. It was a tough game yeah so how do you how do you handle like when well not you personally but like how do you and Drew like make it work for if there is a loss like what's the whole the whole process of the yeah game? well I feel like we, I've talked about this before on here but he used to be so bad with losses and he would literally <laughs> like not talk to me I mean he would talk to me but it would be like very short answers for like three days like it wouldn't be till about Wednesday or Thursday like when they started to think about like oh, okay, game day is only two days away, that he would really get into a better mood. And I finally was like, okay, this has got to stop. Like, I'm so frustrated with you because I understand being upset, but, like, you can only be upset for 24 hours. Like, this isn't going to be a whole week-long thing. Like, be upset and let it let it sit for 24 hours, and then let's move on and think about the next week. So he's gotten 1 million times better, and he's, like, completely better about it. Monday comes around and he's like a new person. So that's good at least. Yeah, for us, it was, it took a little bit just because you have to kind of, I don't know, you have to kind of like let it go really quickly because you don't really have time. They don't anyway have time to like sit there and dwell on it because you're already on the on the ride home, like the bus ride home, you're already starting the next week. Yeah, <laughs> like it's yeah, so you're crazy. already moving forward. Yep, yep. I know. I know. It's such a quick turnaround for football, at least. I think obviously baseball's even shorter of a turnaround. You're playing like the next day, so you don't really have any time to 
dwell on it. But with kids, it's probably a little bit easier because they have to come home and like be a dad. Yeah. But with us, like I let him have his like 24 hours of being bratty and then we just move forward on it. <laughs> I on like Monday. the 24 hour. That is our rule. 24 hours. Yeah. That's the rule. I'm like Sunday, you can be mad. I'm mad for you. So <laughs> I'm frustrated. Yeah. Too. <laughs> yeah. I'm frustrated as well. I know I went to a, like a church small group thing yesterday and they were doing like everyone brought stuff kind of like a potluck and I was sitting there and someone goes, uh, Ashley, you know, I have a question about the game yesterday. And I just, am like, oh man, I was like, your guess is as good as mine. Like I have no answer. Like when people ask yeah. like, well, what happened? I'm like, well, you tell me, I don't know. Like, I don't know what happened. Yeah. I know just as much about what happened as they do. <laughs> like they're probably, they're not like, oh, we really want to lose this game. You yeah. know, like no, it's so weird. No, but Brittany and I have waited for this episode <laughs> that yeah. we, we've really wanted to dive into it. And honestly, I think I just came out a changed person because I didn't yeah. know any of this information that we're about to share. It is seriously, we interview a fertility doctor, Dr. Crawford, and actually one of her patients who is a football coach's wife, her husband coaches at Texas A&M. And her name is Ariel. And we just talk all things IVF, all things fertility. And it's just so informative. And she really gives such a great perspective. So we get the the scientific side of things. And then we also get the personal experience from Ariel. And it is an episode that really will make you think about things. Yeah, I feel like when you, as a girl, sorry if there's any males listening to this, but you go to like OBGYN and then like you, you know, you leave your doctor and if there's nothing wrong, usually you're just like, okay, forward, good, yeah. good job, see you next year, like whatever. But when you start planning to like have a family, at least for me, I thought that as long as you're healthy and the doctor tells you everything's okay, that you really have like a very small chance that you know, you don't get pregnant, but it's actually the opposite, which mm -hmm. I didn't, that's just me being naive. I didn't know. Yeah. I think we don't talk about it enough as women. I think they really dive into the chances of getting pregnant naturally and just conceiving naturally. And then also what your age has to do with it, what the different products you consume and put on your body have to do with it. All of those different factors that go into having a healthy embryo and being able to conceive naturally or you know through fertility so I really really think that you guys will learn a lot from this and I think from what we've gathered on Instagram a lot of y'all are going through some kind of fertility treatment and so we really do want to dive more into that in general on our podcast we do want to have more conversations about it because it's something important to talk about yeah, several of y'all had even mentioned that, you know, there should be a support group for people in the sports industry with infertility because, I mean, if anybody gets it, it's going to be somebody else that's going through this, like in the industry as well. So we're going to try to work through on how to connect everybody together because even though Brittany and I aren't there yet, like just being involved in this conversation that we just had, it's kind of like just a big eye opener of there is a need to fill basically with yeah, the community. Definitely. So we really hope you guys enjoy this episode and we will see you on the other side. Hello, hello. Hey, welcome back everyone. 
This is an important episode because this is a topic that we have not dove into, and it is one of the most highly requested um, episodes that we have had on our radar for quite some time. Yeah, so we're really excited. Not only do we have one special guest, but we actually have two, and Mm -hmm. we're going to let them introduce themselves. Uh, Hi, guys. I'm Ariel Santucci. I am the wife of Tyler Santucci, who coaches at uh, Texas A&M. He's a linebacker coach there. And I'm going to be talking about uh, my experience with IVF. So I'm currently going through IVF now, and I'm originally from Long Island, New York. And I am Dr. Natalie Crawford. I am a board-certified OBGYN and REI. That means I am a fertility doctor. And I happen to be Ariel's doctor and I practice, <laughs> I have practice in Austin, Texas. So I'm co-founder of a boutique fertility practice called Fora Fertility. And I also spend my spare time on social media, on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD. And I have a YouTube channel and just trying to educate and break down barriers about fertility because there's so much we don't know. And this journey when you're not getting pregnant is really scary. And I try to make it less scary because we all deserve to know how our body works and functions. Yes, we're super excited to dive into it. I think neither one of us have children yet, but it is a conversation that I think people are starting to talk more and more about is fertility issues and getting pregnant and how everything in terms of like your age and other factors kind of go into that. So we're really excited to dive into this topic. Could you, Dr. Crawford, just give us an overview of what exactly IVF is? Because I feel like that's the most common talked about term in fertility. All right. Do we have a whole hour? No, I'm joking. (laughs) IVF is something that I talk about every day and I find that there's a lot of fear behind it and a lot of people don't understand it. And so in general, if I'm going to make this as short as possible, What happens every month is that you have a group of eggs come out of what I like to consider a vault inside your ovary. So if you imagine that you're born, all your eggs are in the vault, every month a group of these comes out and one of them will ovulate and the rest of them die and the next month a new group. So the basic idea of IVF is for one month, we're going to get all of those eggs to grow with hormone shots. So instead of letting everybody die, we're going to get some of them to grow. We are then going to take them out of your body after we've stimulated them to grow and then fertilize them in a lab. So that's the IVF in vitro fertilization means in the lab fertilization. Embryos are going to grow out. We can talk about doing genetic testing of them. And then they're usually transferred in what's considered the embryo transfer. And very often that's done in a subsequent cycle, what we call an FET or a frozen embryo transfer. The interesting thing about IVF is that every person is limited by their own potential. So people have different amounts of eggs coming out of that vault. And so you're going to hear stories where one person may get a lot of eggs and one person may not get as many. And so to overcome not getting as many, you can do multiple cycles, meaning I could take the eggs from October and then I could take the eggs from November. And maybe you have the same outcome, but you had to put more into it as far as time, money, what you put your body through. And I think part of my job is preparing somebody for what their experience is going to be so that they understand that process. So when you have a patient that comes in like Ariel, when you, I want to ask you, when you're mm-hmm. looking for a doctor or when you're trying to decide like this is kind of something that I want to potentially take that next step and take on IVF, was there some things that were running through your mind like not only just mentally what it does to you, but also like financially and just like the overall just process, what went through your mind to get you to say, this is where I'm going to go. This is the journey I'm going to take. 
Yeah, so I have a lot of friends that have been through IVF um, and we had been trying for, you know, quite a bit. I'd say it was like a little over a year. And then I started to talk to my girlfriend, started to do my research. And I actually found Dr. Crawford through another friend that was going through IVF who had recommended her. And I started listening to the podcast. I started to listen to her and just doing research. I was never about doing anything with medication. I was like so against it. So it was very hard for me to wrap my head around it. But after having the, honestly, the first meeting, I did a virtual uh, meeting with Dr. Crawford and she made me feel so good about it. I was so worried that the meds would, you know, hurt my body or make me feel weird. And, you know, it's very common what we put in our bodies. She explained that it's, we produce the same hormones we're putting into our body naturally. So that's kind of how I made the decision, but it's definitely not an easy one. Just, you know, talking to your doctor helps a lot though. And before that, I guess, when you guys were trying naturally to just conceive, mm-hmm. were you talking to like your OB about like potential of IVF or like, how do you, I guess from your perspective, how do you get to that point? Yeah. And then also from Dr. Crawford perspective, like when do you know that that's the right point? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I had actually had a second trimester miscarriage. So we got pregnant right away. So I thought it would be easy. And then we actually transitioned right after our miscarriage, we moved again. So I didn't have an OB that I was going to see, you know, frequently that knew me that I knew, but I had started to see, you know, a doctor who actually, I saw the nurse practitioner in the practice and she said, everything looked good. And I guess my reason for seeking a fertility doctor was I wasn't getting the answers I was, you know, needing. And so I just took it upon myself to just, you know, do the work and find someone that could help me. So sometimes I guess it comes down to that, just having to, you know, find your own answers. And so that's what led me to her. I think it's important to realize that a lot of people don't know that you can just call a fertility doctor and schedule a visit. They think you have Mm -hmm. to be referred. You have to wait until your doctor tells you it's time. And the reality is in order to be a fertility doctor, you did all of OBGYN and then you did extra training in hormones and fertility. And I have so much more time than any OBGYN has. Our initial consult is 60 minutes. We sit there and we talk about your goals, what you've gone through, where you want to go. We talk about how old you are, what that means. And then we kind of talk through what we already know, we either come up with a to-do list of more testing, or we already know the answer right away. And for a lot of people, what they don't realize is my job's not just to think about baby number one, it's to think about your whole family and put the entire thing in picture because yeah, you have to get pregnant with baby number one, but if you want four kids and it's taking you three years to get pregnant with baby number one, how old are you going to be when it comes to baby number four and what other factors are playing a role? And is that realistic for you? Or perhaps do you need to be more aggressive earlier on so that you don't have to compromise or sacrifice on the family that you want? The traditional, like when to see a fertility doctor textbook answer is after you've been trying to get pregnant for one year, if you're under 35 and six months, if you're between 35 and 40 and right away, if you're 40 and older, the other answer is that you can always come see us. (laughs) If you have, again, you can always come see us. If there's anything that's abnormal that you know about your periods aren't regular, 
you're having a really bad painful periods or difficulty having intercourse, if you've had test results that have come back abnormal, those things do not require any amount of time period. So those are heightened to us that something may be wrong. And we should at a minimum start a basic workup of your fertility earlier. What you choose to do with that data will depend on your goals and what we find out. So you don't have to wait that time. You don't have to wait for your OB. And if you aren't getting the answers, that's what we're here for because our visits and how we structure what we do is so different than your OBGYN who has like 15 minutes at a wellness visit, you know, just not the same. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, there, it needs to be talked about because to be honest, this is like the first time I'm learning about this just because you hear like a general sense of what IVF is or just what a fertility doctor is. But I feel like there's so much more education that needs to be happening because unless you know someone going through it, then you're not going to really know like what to expect. So I think that's great that the conversation is happening. And we've actually had some of our listeners submit questions. So I'm just going to throw one out there. And for the embryo process, how many do you typically transfer at one time? And then how common is it for people to have twins with IVF? This is a good question because things have changed over time. So when IVF first started, we did not have some of the really amazing technology that we have now, meaning embryos didn't survive being frozen and thawed very well, and we weren't able to genetically test embryos. Now, genetics are the number one thing that limit us. They're the top cause of miscarriage, and we see that in increasing prevalence as we get older. So somebody who is younger and going through IVF is going to have more genetically normal embryos than somebody who is older. That's a huge advantage of doing it at a younger age. Now that we have this data, we know that adding an additional embryo into the transfer catheter does not increase our pregnancy rates and decreases our live birth rates. And so this is kind of mind blowing to us. So if I use the example, pretend I have somebody who's age 35 and I got four embryos that we sent off for genetic testing, about half of them would be normal. So two of them are normal, two of them are abnormal. It's the exact same for embryos if I didn't do the genetic testing. So before genetic testing was available, we tended to grab two because, you know, flip a quarter, one of them's abnormal, put them both in the catheter and transfer them. And we saw all these multiples. We saw twins and triplets and quads because the older a woman got, the more embryos IVF doctors put into the catheter because the odds of having a normal one was so much lower. Now I like to think of it as competition for resources. So if I put two genetically normal embryos inside your uterus, they're competing against each other, trying to implant in that uterus. They're not going to get as good blood supply. They're not going to have um, as high as pregnancy outcomes as far as long-term, what really matters, holding a live-born baby in your arms. So our goal is one live-born baby at a time, Every embryo, and Ariel will tell you this too, is gold. You work for those embryos. <laughs> so we, we want to give each one the highest chance of turning into that baby. And the other piece of the puzzle that we didn't talk about for a long time is the uterus. So that uterus is its own environment. We have different, you know, protocols and approaches that we use. And so it's smarter not to put two embryos into the same environment in the same month. It's smarter to give them each their own chance. Even when we do single embryo transfers, there's a higher than normal incidence of twinning, and that's called monozygotic or identical twinning. That's when I have one embryo in the catheter, looks perfectly normal, put it in a body, and then it splits into identical twins after it's been transferred. And that happens two to 3% of the time in IVF cycles, which in nature, it happens like 0.03% of the time. So that's a huge increase, although overall still unlikely. So we're really trying to get that one baby at a time. 
That's fascinating. Yeah. So your partner at Four Fertility is my boyfriend's sister. So I was yes. talking to her about this before. And because I just turned 30 and I was like, maybe I should start like thinking about this stuff. And I was talking to her about it and kind of picking her brain. And she was saying that like, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be putting more than one healthy embryo. And I've talked to other people going through IVF and they're like, oh yeah, they're putting multiple embryos in me. So is that like something to, I hate to say like throw a red flag at, but you wouldn't want to go through that if that's like not the right thing. So should you be looking at maybe alternate doctors or second opinions if your doctor is telling you that? Good question. It's definitely a red flag and it depends on why, you know, how old you are. And if your embryos are not genetically tested, then maybe there's a scenario where that makes sense. But if you have genetically tested embryos across the board, regardless of your age, you really should not be having that done. And some doctors don't practice modern techniques. Maybe that's the nicest way of saying it. They still practice like how things were when they came out of training. And I think it's really important, especially in this field, to have somebody who's up to date and stays current and, you know, practices with the best evidence that we have at hand. So if your doctor says, yeah, we're going to put two inside, red flag, at least why are we doing this? Does this make sense? And I think that what we find is that a lot of times people just are practicing old school medicine and they're not really keeping up to date. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ariel, where are you in this process? Are you about to have like the transfer done? Have you already had the transfer? Where are you at in this entire journey? Yeah. So I am currently doing my transfer protocol. So I'm taking my meds and Dr. Crawford's monitoring me and we're waiting to see when it's time to do the transfer. So I'm almost at the finish line. So fingers crossed. It's kind of a it's a waiting game. IVF is like the whole process has been just wait, wait until you find out how many embryos you get, how many healthy embryos. And then, you know, now the protocol is wait to figure out when it's the perfect time to implant the embryos. So that's where I'm at. Yeah. If you don't mind me asking, so with the, with the shots and the medicine, what does that look like? Is there like a certain number that you get and, you know, you have to take, I don't know, however many shots by the certain amount of time or very like basic education. How does this first start out the whole process? I mean, everybody's different how long you stay on the shots, but I took three shots a night. You know, two of them were hormone injections and one was a shot to help with the egg quality. So that went for the first, I did two rounds of shots. So the first round, I would say, I think it was like 10 or 11 days. They both were about you know, anywhere from 10 to 14 days. But that's just, again, it's a waiting game. You don't know exactly what, how long it's going to take you. Everybody's different. But it basically, Dr. Crawford measures every single follicle that's growing in your ovaries. And she figures out, you know, when the perfect time is to extract them. And I guess they all have to be a certain size. And so again, for me, it was about I'd say almost two weeks that we did it for. And then you do a trigger shot. And then it's, Like the day and a half later, uh, Dr. Crawford goes in and does the procedure to remove them. And that's really easy. Everything, honestly, it seems so daunting right before you do it. But I will say that it it went by so quick and it wasn't as bad. I didn't feel any different. I didn't have any side effects, uh, luckily, other than just bloating. But it went went by really fast. The shots, like giving them to yourself, was that really hard Mm -hmm. to do? Because I know that, you know, your significant other is gone like crazy hours. I would not, I don't know if I could give them to myself, but I don't, I don't know. Yeah. So thankfully I'm not afraid of needles. It's not, I know a lot of people have like this fear of needles. I am not afraid of needles. However, 
I, like I said before, I'm not, I'm afraid of medication, if that makes any sense. So it was scary to me to do it by myself, not knowing how I would react. And so I, I live on a street with a couple different coaches. So I asked one of the wives to come by just to be there for the first night. Because again, you don't know how you're going to do. Um, you're making these, med- you have to mix the medication. So as someone that's not in the medical field, so you're like, am I doing this right? Am I giving myself the right dose? So that's so stressful. But once you get past the first shot, you're golden. You're like, all right, I could do this. And then every every shot, you do three shots the first night. So again, by the second night, you're like, all right, I did three. I could do this. You ice your stomach. You don't feel any pain uh, if you ice it. And it's, again, it's not as bad as it, as it seems to be. But the first night, I was so stressed doing it by myself. And it's, you know, it's hard. We don't have our husbands there. It's definitely a challenge, but you you get used to it. And I told my husband on my way to my transfer appointment with Dr. Crawford, I said, you know, I feel like I've grown as a person because you're forced to do these things on your own Mm -hmm. and you come out of it so much stronger. So. Yeah, that's wonderfully said. I think that's awesome. And Dr. Crawford, I just want to ask for the process of, I know that each patient is so different, but with these shots and the medication, like, is it a trial basis? Like you do the initial evaluation and then you kind of start off with, okay, this is what we're going to start with. And do you monitor it daily or is it weekly leading up? Because for Ariel, it only took two weeks, but I know that some patients could take way different amounts of time. So I like to think about IVF in two different phases, and this kind of helps everybody understand it. There is a phase where you suppress what the body is normally doing. This is coming in and interfering with the normal brain ovary connection. We do that in order to allow all the eggs to grow, because if you're an average 20-something-year-old, you're going to have about 20 eggs, and your body does not want to have 20 babies at one time. So your ovaries are not going to want to grow 20 eggs at once. This suppression phase usually lasts anywhere from three to four weeks, and it can be really different person to person. Some of it's dependent on where you are in your cycle, which medication you use, and that's a very different protocol person by person. That's the suppression. The stimulation is pretty much the same for most people with fine little tweaks, meaning it's mostly FSH, which is follicle stimulating hormone, a normal hormone that our brain makes just in higher than normal doses. And that's how we're getting all these eggs to grow. Depending on your scenario, we may add in um, another medication that has some luteinizing hormones, just kind of like working together. And then as Ariel said, there's an egg quality hormone, which is growth hormone that can sometimes help with getting the eggs to a better quality. And so not everybody needs all three. Some people take just one. Some people are all, all three. Just depends on your scenario. But the stimulation if you like to think of it, is mimicking the first half of a natural cycle, just amplifying it. So normally from when your period starts to when you ovulate, it's about 14 days. That's pretty much what we're doing right here. We're just getting more than one egg to grow to maturity. Once you start that stimulation phase, so the suppression, you're just rocking and rolling, doing whatever. You come in for one ultrasound to make sure the suppression worked. Once you start the stimulation, you usually come in every two to three days for an ultrasound and blood work. This probably drove Ariel crazy because it's like a 20-minute visit that she would drive like hours for. <laughs> so she, she was like, drive to the office, see us for like 20 minutes, and then be back on her way. And so it's the good news is, I mean, if you were closer to a fertility doctor, you're not you're not waiting in the office all day long. It's not like taking up tons of time for the average person, although 
I'm sorry. I, I know Ariel in her car. Like she would bring her doggies and we would like see them in the window. Yeah. Like, oh, the doggies are here. She's like, well, it's so long. I didn't want to leave them. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the stimulation is mostly two weeks. And so if you're doing multiple cycles, it's two weeks here and two weeks there. And if you were going to freeze your eggs, it's about two weeks of hormone shots. And so the thing that I like to say is it's actually not as overwhelming as a process as what it seems, but it's a marathon. There's a lot of hurry up and wait wait for the different time in your cycle. And if you don't have a good team behind you and you show up thinking you're running a 5k, like this is going to be easy peasy. And then suddenly it's a marathon. It's going to be the worst experience of your life. And there are people who have that experience. They weren't prepared. They had no idea it would take so long. They didn't know what they were looking at. And it's very hard to prepare for the unexpected. So we try really hard to put everything on calendar, talk about appropriate timelines. And I tell everybody, if life goes perfect, absolutely perfect, it will at the shortest be four months from the moment you start that suppression to the moment you get your positive pregnancy test. And so that's the like, this is going great option. And I'm a big perfectionist as many of us are in the field. So it's got to look perfect or some we're regrouping, you know, and that's what you want. You want a doctor who doesn't just say, this is my protocol. And that's what I do. You want somebody who's going to, this is the protocol for you. And this is why I'm going to make sure everything's going as expected. Otherwise we're going to regroup and bring something new to the table. And so sometimes you have these surprises along the way. It's not that we are kind of experimenting, but I always say IVF is both a therapeutic, meaning we use it to get you pregnant and it's diagnostic. Sometimes it explains why we have unexplained infertility. Like why were we not getting pregnant? Sometimes once we get eggs and sperm into a lab, we're able to uncover something that was holding us back previously. And so that leads to a lot of ups and downs, a lot of unexpected. Not every cycle is the same, even in the same person. Ariel even said one cycle was 11 days and like one's 14. So you can't even say, oh, this is how it is for me. And part of that is us because we're constantly learning from you. I say almost everybody does better in their second cycle because we take what we learned from you in your first cycle, make little tweaks, and then you should come out of your second cycle if you do too, doing better. And so that's kind of the team you want behind you who can listen to your questions, explain what the process is, who's learning from the data that you give them and constantly adjusting to get the best outcome possible. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like it's such a scary process. So having somebody that can fully explain those things to you is so much better. So you have an idea of what you're going into. And I think from in terms of you've mentioned this a couple of times, like age and being able to do all the genetic testing. Could you explain what your age has to do with being able to get pregnant naturally and then also like what the genetic testing you can do with IVF versus what you can just do like normally if you got pregnant naturally. So age is the number one predictor of female infertility. And a lot of people don't talk about this as much or maybe they know it, but they think it doesn't apply to them if they're otherwise really healthy. But the reality is even the healthiest person is going to have the impact of age. If we go back to that analogy, thinking that you have all your eggs kept in a vault from the moment you're born, you're losing eggs, but the eggs that are kept inside that vault are exposed to your entire life. Everything you put in your body, texture of time, how stressed you are, the toxins you're exposed to, and time breaks down our chromosomes. So the job of an egg is to have, you know, half your chromosomes that you're going to pass on to a baby. And so if they've been sitting there for 
25 years, 30 years, 35 years, 40 years, the longer they sit down, the more they break down and the increased prevalence you're going to have of genetic abnormalities like Down syndrome. So those are chromosome number abnormalities and miscarriage and a lower chance of pregnancy per month. So in average, a woman who's 30 is in really good shape, tends to have about three-fourths of her eggs are still genetically normal, has about a 20% chance of getting pregnant per month, and only about a 15% chance of miscarriage. That's the average 30-year-old. So that, that's not a bad place to be. The average 35-year-old has about half her eggs genetically normal. So we just took a big hit wow, from there. That's crazy. Now, <laughs> yeah, now we see a drop in pregnancy rate per month to be about 12 to 15%. And then from there, we see an increased miscarriage chance between 20 to 25%. So suddenly just between 30 and 35, it's not impossible, but it's going to take you longer to get pregnant and you have a higher chance of miscarrying if you do. And if you're waiting to start your family till 35, where are you going to be when you have baby number two? At age 40, 25% normal. Okay. So now we've taken another huge hit. Your chance of getting pregnant per month is about 5%. And your chance of miscarriage is going to be between 30 to 40%. So we can see it really swings with time. So even though you may say, I know so-and-so's cousin's mom's friend who got pregnant at 44. Absolutely. Because there's millions of people, you know, but for you individually, is it likely to happen? And one thing that I talk about with my patients is, does it make sense? Like, are we really going to build your family with a 5% probability? And these success rates are, you're starting out, everything is absolutely perfect. Once you hit infertility or unexplained infertility, even if you're young, you're not protected anymore. So you're still protected against the high rate of miscarriage, but unexplained infertility. So you could be 25, trying to get pregnant for a year, go to a fertility doctor and everything's perfect. You ovulate, your fallopian tubes are open, his sperm is fine. You now have unexplained infertility. That means none of the top causes. And you now have a 5% chance of getting pregnant per month. Wow. even though you're 25. Wow. And so we start saying, does that mean you could get pregnant next month? Absolutely. 5% means some people do. Does that mean that it might take you five years if you ever hit that? It could. And then what if you want more than one child? And so it's one of these things where you really want to look at the entire picture, but age is a huge component. So the older we get, the more we start leaning towards aggressive treatments first, and the more we start talking about genetic testing. So when we do genetic testing of embryos, what we're doing most of the time is checking the chromosome number, and that's called aneuploidy. The embryo, the stage where we do this is about 300 cells. We take five to eight cells from the placenta, the embryo, the little baby portion is not harmed at all. And then these cells have a chromosome number run on each of them. And so what we're looking for is, is it normal 46XX or 46XY? That would be female and male. Or does it have an extra copy of chromosome 21? That's Down syndrome. Is it missing a copy of chromosome two? That's universally not going to result in a baby. And so we're trying to eliminate out those abnormal embryos. People who are 35 and older really want to do this because half or more of their embryos are going to be abnormal. Younger patients often want to because they're trying to build their family. And if I say, hey, on average, you're going to have XYZ normal. Average doesn't really matter at that point. What really matters is how many normal do you have and what are your goals and how many kids do you have? And I use an example all the time of a friend of mine who was 33, went through this process and got eight embryos. Based on her age, I would say on average, you should have five or six normal. 
she had one. Okay. And so that explained why it was so hard for her to get pregnant, but she was able to make a different decision at that time based on the data. Otherwise she would be thinking she had all these embryos, maybe planning for more children and not given the opportunity to perhaps go get another group of eggs, consider doing this process again. So I always think that you can't make decisions on data you don't know. And so if you're just going through IVF for one child and you're under age 35, it may or may not be worth it for you to do genetic testing. But if we're counting on some of those embryos to be future children for you, which is a huge advantage for IVF, Mm -hmm. then we want to make sure we've got those future children in there. And we don't want to think that, oh, I waited four years and now I'm used my embryos and it didn't work and none of those were live births. And now I got to go through this process four years later, I'm going to have fewer eggs and less of them are going to be normal. It's going to be so much harder to get there. So we really want to think through the whole family planning. And I ask everybody, well, what's your goal? Like if it was perfect and we weren't talking, (laughs) how many kids would you have? Like, what would this look like for you? Because that helps us counsel you the best on what you should do at this moment. Yeah. I think for me personally, like that's, that's very overwhelming (laughs) because I just turned 30 and like, we were like, oh yeah, like we'll have, you know, we might have kids, but like later on. So do you think that it's worth it for people maybe thinking that in the future, you know, three years down the road, four years down the road, whatever that looks like to go to a fertility doctor, to have those conversations, potentially freeze your eggs. If that's something that they want to do maybe for the future, if you do want more than one kid, it sounds like that's probably the best plan. For goal-oriented people, I always think it's crazy that for so long, we haven't talked about our family goals, our fertility goals as like one of these things. What studies are showing us is that if you are going to freeze your eggs, you're going to get the best outcome if it's somewhere between age 32 to 33 or earlier. So I always say, hey, if you're not ready to start your family and you're approaching that 32, 33 marker, that is the smart time to go have a real talk about freezing your eggs, kind of that line in the sand moment. Could you freeze your eggs at 35? Of course. Could you wait and try to get pregnant later? Yes, but if we wanna have more options open, this is one thing we can do. Now, you might have better outcomes if you do it a couple years earlier. It depends on your individual characteristics and everybody's different. So if you're at a place where you're like, being a mom is a life goal for me, X, Y, Z, hands down. I want to be a mom. I really want to have my own genetic child. You should start freezing your eggs as soon as you can. Like, there's no reason not to, you'll get more of them. It'll be easier. You'll have more options. If you're on the fence, like, well, I don't know, maybe motherhood's not for me. I'm not ready to close it off, but I don't really know if I want that or not. Then wait a little bit. Or if you're in the zone of maybe we'll start trying soon, I'm not sure. It's okay. We're never going to turn you away from getting an evaluation, talking you through the egg freezing process. And I'll say most people decide just to do it because when they hear these numbers, it just makes sense to say, I'm going to get some eggs in the freezer when I have more of them and they're more genetically normal. That way I'm going to have an easier time of it, you know, regardless of what happens. And so that whether you're in a relationship or you're single, just because you're keeping that door open for you. And the process truly is not that difficult. If you're just freezing eggs, you're talking two weeks of hormone shots. Ariel already said, 
They're tiny needles. They're, they go sub Q that's like in your fat, right under your, your belly button. A diabetic gives themselves insulin this way. So you can do it for two weeks. I promise. <laughs> and, and I mean, a lot of the really intense stuff comes with the emotional roller coaster of how many mm-hmm. made it to embryo, how many are genetically normal, you know, preparing for a transfer is very emotional. And that's a lot of the harder side of this journey. Just going through the egg freezing process is typically very empowering. You know, I did this for me. I'm putting these eggs in the freezer and most people tolerate it really, really well. Yeah. Ariel, I want to know about your, if you don't mind sharing just like the mental journey that you took on with this and that you're still enduring, because I don't think that a lot of people understand like how much you have to make sure you are, your body is well, your mind is well, all the things. So did you go on like a roller coaster or were you just like determined, like, this is it, I'm going to keep pushing was there ups and downs? Kind of what did you go through? Definitely a roller coaster. You know, like Dr. Crawford had said, you're constantly waiting for, you know, answers, like how many fertilized. And that I think was the hardest part of this whole thing is just waiting and waiting. And for me, I had a lower egg count than, you know, normal women my age. And so I was really concerned about that. And so I put a lot of pressure on me leading up to it to really make sure that my eggs were good quality. So I focused a lot on like what I ate, cutting out toxins. And so that I think just focusing on that maybe took, it did stress me out, but it also took a lot of the stress off of the answers, you know, get, you know, I knew I did what I had to do. I knew like, you know, whatever's going to come of this is it's going to come. And I did what I had to do. So the answers though are definitely like, Oh, what's it going to be? Um, in our first round, Dr. Crawford, like she said, she kind of tells you, she asks you how many kids you want. We said four. That was what we've just always said. Who knows? We'll have one first and go from there. But that's our, our ideal if I had it perfect as of now. But she had recommended I do two rounds. And I love that because going into it, it wasn't just, all right, I'm going to do the first round. And had she not told me that, it would have been way worse off for me because then I would have had to get back into the mindset. Oh, I have to do this again. And I think that would have been a downfall of mine, but I was prepared and knew, okay, we're going to do this twice. If by miracle, I get more than, you know, we expect great. So that was tough, but again, I was prepared. And so the second round, like I said, it goes by so quick. And the second round, we got so many more than the first round. So it was, a positive thing. Again, back to the roller coaster. I was on a high, you know, and then I had to go through a, a procedure after. So I couldn't go right into transfer protocol, but that went quick. And here we are. I'm like, at, I, again, I feel like I'm at the finish line. So it's a process and it's constantly reminding yourself like what your goal is. And I guess my biggest piece of advice is to just stay in the, in the moment, like every day, just focus on that. Because if you get, you know, in your mind about the end goal, which is having that baby in your hands, it's going to seem so much harder. You know, you have to just focus on one step at a time and where you're at and what your doctor's telling you to do in that moment. Because for me, it was the only way that I got through it and having a support system. You, you just need people around you to cheer you on. So with the sports aspect of it, do you worry about like, oh, he could get another job and then we have to move 
and I have my embryos are ready to go and my, I might have to travel back to Texas if we move to, you know, the West Coast or the East Coast. So do you have that in the back of your mind? I know you're trying to stay present, but I'm sure you probably think yeah. about that at some point too. Yeah. I mean, for us, we, we have to think ahead of time as far as that. But I, right now, as of now, I told my husband, we're not moving. <laughs> At least I'm not moving. Like if he gets a job, great. Like I'm going to stay back as far as, you know, right now goes with, you know, this first embryo and our first transfer. Like I definitely want to do my first transfer with Dr. Crawford. You know, let's say this one doesn't work. Let's just say I want to have my first baby with Dr. Crawford, like for it to work. And then if he gets a job in the next couple of years and we still have embryos waiting for us, then we will definitely have to, you know, transfer. I mean, if it's close to Texas, of course I'll travel. I've been traveling two hours. So <laughs> what's a couple more hours, right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if it's really far, then we'll have to just transfer the embryos over, which would make me sad. Because I love Dr. Crawford. But yeah. we'll, we'll see. Do you feel like there's kind of like a, not like a clock in a sense where, oh my gosh, I have to make this work by the end of the season, but do you feel like a pressure on yourself? Yeah. Yeah. A big pressure. More so like, you know, I told Dr. Crawford that he most likely won't be there for the transfer, which is really sad, right? But we we know what we get into with this industry. Uh, we know they're not around, but the hardest part is he needs to be there for the birth. I need him there. Yeah. So that is hard for me because now I'm looking at our window of opportunity is, you know, this transfer works, I believe due date would be around June. Am I, am I right, Dr. Crawford? Would it be You're June? Right. Okay. So <laughs> that's perfect, right? End of June, mid-June, it's fine. They're in yep. youth camps, works out. And then he has all of July off with me. Then I start thinking, oh my gosh, if it doesn't work, then where are we at? Okay. If if she puts me into a transfer the next month, then it might work out, right? But mm -hmm. if I need to do other stuff, so my, yes, your mind just starts going. So I try to just say, you know, we're just going to have to roll with the punches and take what we can get. I have an amazing mother-in-law. And so she, she'll be there for the birth if she has to be. So <laughs> yeah, it's stressful. Yeah, yeah, that is stressful. And I'm sure, you know, you guys and every, all the girls in the industry, I'm sure think about timeline when they think about having a baby because we have a window of opportunity, but. So you said, you mentioned like transfer, like you would take your embryos and transfer them like wherever you would move to. Dr. Crawford, what does that look like? How many times can you move your embryos? What is that transferring around? How do you like? physically do that? <laughs> yeah. So we see people do both. So I definitely have patients who've moved off and they're wherever, and we find them a clinic close to them to do their ultrasounds, what we call monitoring. And then they just travel themselves for a transfer. Because when you're at that stage of the game, especially when you're talking about future babies, you kind of know what works, you know what protocol to do. It's an easier planning process. So very often people will say, oh, I'm just going to transfer myself for the transfer, get on a plane and then fly away. Sometimes it just makes more sense. And we saw this happen a lot over COVID where, you know, maybe you getting on a plane wasn't quite as easy as getting your embryo shipped somewhere else. There are companies that do this. So you pay a company to do it. They insure them and they transfer the embryos to the new clinic. So things that I always talk about is if you're going to transfer your embryos, you know, ask your, you know, origin doctor, like your normal doctor, who do they trust in that area? Like what's a good lab? There's a lot of specifics. Every IVF lab has this team of embryologists behind them and not all are created equal. And so often it's very hard to know that as a 
patient or a consumer and it takes being in the field. So if I was to hear, oh, you're moving to this place, I usually would say, okay, if you're going to transfer your embryos, you go to this doctor or this place, or does it make more sense for you to come here? And we just kind of talk through things. The other thing that's nice in a way about IVF, especially when it comes to seasonal professions, so we'll say coaching, teachers, any of that kind of stuff is that the embryos are frozen. They're not getting freezer burn. So if it comes to that, it makes more sense to wait a period of time to do another transfer until we feel more confident that it works for your job or your partner's job. You know, we can do that. Is that what we always want to do? No, of course we wanted to be pregnant a year ago and not do IVF and not know Dr. Crawford, but sometimes (laughs) life doesn't go that way. And so Mm -hmm. we start saying, okay, well, at what point do we just take a pause? You know, we just focus on mental health and holidays and get through this time period and then relook at doing a transfer when it makes sense. And so you have that freedom at least, which is, you know, obviously something you don't necessarily have when you're trying to get pregnant naturally. But, you know, I think that almost everybody if they do genetic testing of their embryos, will be pregnant within two embryo transfers. And so that's usually kind of the metric that we're looking at when we're planning these cycles. It's like, okay, we know the first one may not work, but you know, when's the second one going to be and make sure that we're kind of playing within our timeline. So it's a hard process. I love, you know, a lot of the things that Ariel said about finding a support system, you know, and I really say that whether that is your best friend or not your best friend or strangers online or a therapist or your spouse or not your spouse. Like somebody though, that you can talk to about this, who is going to be able to understand that the hardest thing is not having control. That's the hardest thing for most everybody. And then on the other end is controlling what you can is very powerful. So talk to your doctor about vitamins and supplements and foods and toxins and exercise and stress just so that you're empowered to make the choices that make the most sense for you. Because if you're just waiting on results, it is such a mind game. And if you're saying, okay, well, hopefully I get what I want. So I'm going to keep eating healthy to get my uterus ready and taking my vitamins and working out. That feels empowering to you. So try to flip that script. And so that you're the one in control of the situation, because there's so much that just is what it is that you can't control. Yeah, that makes sense. Arielle, you mentioned obviously having a support group. I think we've had a couple people mention that. So maybe we'll have to start like a sports industry support group for people going through it. Because I think that's the most important thing too is not only are you going through IVF or some kind of fertility treatment, you're also feeling like you're so alone because your significant other is maybe working all the time or during season or those type of things. So maybe we'll work on that. But you mentioned Dr. Crawford, some supplements and Arielle, you mentioned that you change your diet. I want to know how all of that impacts IVF. I've no, I know a lot of people also do like non-toxic products, like cleaning products and deodorant and facial products. So how does that impact any of that process? It probably impacts both eggs and sperm and therefore impacts embryos. One thing we haven't mentioned a lot of is a factor that you have almost no control over, and that is how many eggs live inside your vault. You know, you're born with a certain number. Everybody's born with a different number. We're all going to be running out. And there's some things that drop that number. So smoking cigarettes, for example, I always like cigarette smoke can get inside that vault and drop your number getting chemotherapy because you had cancer in the past can get in that vault and drop that number. And so some of those things that we're exposed to, we know can drop our egg number. And that is one piece of the puzzle. It's definitely the denominator when it comes to IVF, meaning the more eggs you have, 
the more options you have, the easier the process is going to be. The other side of that is that quality. So just like we talked about those chromosomes inside the eggs breaking down with age, other things can break them down faster and other things can support our chromosomes more. So we start thinking about toxins. So like toxins in plastics and kitchen stuff. So like BPA, phthalates, PFC. So don't cook with Teflon. Don't ever, you know, put plastic in the microwave or in the dishwasher. Convert what you drink over to glass, aluminum, stainless steel. Be mindful of what's in your beauty products. And there's a lot of lines out there that are promoting, you know, cleaner beauty and they're easy to find. And so whether that is the things that you're putting on your body and you're cooking your food in and then the things you're putting in your body. So food is a big one that is being studied and not well talked about. And I think just because we live in America and people don't like to talk about things that make them uncomfortable. So it's not like a world shocking diet, meaning the diet that's best for your eggs is very high in fruits, vegetables, whole grains, healthy fats, very Mediterranean-esque if you think of it that way. For every serving of protein that comes from vegetables over meat, you tend to do better when it comes to some of these fertility-based metrics. And red meat tends to be like the universal enemy in studies, meaning the more red meat you have, when you look at more, the worse your egg quality and your embryo quality was. And so does that mean you can never have a steak? Absolutely not. Does that mean you should eat a steak every meal? You should not eat a steak every meal. (laughs) So, you know, it's about really looking at opportunities to put more of the healthy stuff in your body and you're filling up on steak every, every meal. You're not putting lots of fruit and veggies and whole grains in. And so really trying to have that, balanced, healthy diet, limiting out processed foods and sugar and those refined carbohydrates, those things aren't real. So if we just think about like a healthy, real diet are real foods, they're not that ultra processed stuff. They're not high in lots of artificial sugars or added sugar. Fruit doesn't count. Fruit is normal, grows on a tree. Sugars and fruit are good for you. But I think just like there's so much of a diet culture and a diet industry that a lot of people are really confused on what is healthy or good? And so sometimes just bringing it back down to the basics are helpful. Everybody needs a prenatal vitamin. If you're trying to get pregnant, if it says prenatal vitamin on it, it has enough folic acid in it, which is one of the essential things. One that has additional omega-3s, which are good for baby's brain development are recommended. Most people, especially lighter skinned people need supplemental vitamin D. And so I put almost every patient on vitamin D right away. So if you come in, we're going to say prenatal omega-3 fatty acids. Often you can find a prenatal that has them in it and extra vitamin D. And then there's different supplements that may be needed for your unique situation. So do you have PCOS? Do you have endometriosis? Do you have a low egg count? So based on what may be going on for you, you may see additional supplements recommended by your doctor. And I absolutely do not recommend just like Googling fertility (laughs) supplements and taking everything that's out there because there's so much and they kind of work against each other. So the basic is a prenatal omega-3s, vitamin D. And then other things, you need somebody driving the ship of your fertility saying for you and this problem, you should take these things. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, I think that all of this information has just been so enlightening. At least I've learned a ton 
<laughs> that I did not know. And I just appreciate you both coming on and just sharing, I mean, the facts, Dr. Crawford, and then Ariel, the just personal journey. And we will be keeping up with your journey as well, just to be there. And we are the support as well to be your cheering team. But we appreciate you both taking the time to come on. And I'm sure our listeners will get so much value from it. Yeah. And if you guys would share where they can find you on social media, I know Dr. Crawford, you also have a podcast. So if you would say the name of your podcast so that people can listen and find out more information. Sure. So I host the As a Woman podcast, which you can find on all the fertility players. It's been out now, oh my gosh, for forever, like over two years. And so there's tons of fertility episodes from the very basics to very detailed stuff. There's also stuff about just being a woman in the world and, you know, the different things that we face when it comes to goal setting and boundaries and not being taken seriously and girls being mean to each other and just some basic <laughs> life lessons that I've, man, it's hard at times. It <laughs> and then I'm on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD and I have a YouTube channel as well. And then if you are in Texas and want to be a patient, it's Fora, F-O-R-A, fertility. Or if you want to travel to Texas. Yeah. yeah. So if you'd like to come travel to see us, that works as well. <laughs> and then I am at Ariel Santucci on Instagram. Thank you guys so much. And thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on more than a season podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at more than a season podcast for the latest updates. If you enjoyed this episode, please download, subscribe, or leave us a review on your choice of platform. See you next time.